Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Fancy going to the World Cup. Get over this fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 forward. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's like trying to throw up that. I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> It's the podcast that simply refuses to take a summer holiday. I speak, of course, Murph, of Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hello there, Owen. Well, how are you? We've continued to reason with it all weekend. It's good to take a break, Monday's Football Podcast. Your friend Thursday's Football Podcast is taking a bit of a breather. We don't have a problem with that. Come on. Even Ken Early, your father, is taking a few days holidays. <laughs> it's July, for God's sake. Not interested, says Monday's Football Podcast. Bring me somebody to replace Ken and let's just do this shit. That's what it says. Sports show's Dion Fanning. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Uh, very well indeed. I, there's a, there are a lot of articles in the uh, papers and elsewhere uh, around this time of year talking about this time of year for football fans. You know, this idea that all supporters are still optimistic. It's the one time of year that everybody No one's can, lost yet, Owen. Particularly with the Leicester story last year. Uh, anyone can do a Leicester next year. But Rod Little had a, <laughs> had a nice line in Sunday Times yesterday. He told the story of a chief football writer in the local paper that he started out with years ago in Cardiff who was banned by the club for the season because he wrote, just before it started, he wrote, Cardiff City will begin their battle against relegation with an away trip to Orient. <laughs> Which I just really like. The big news today, though, is uh, international football. And Sam Allardyce in particular, you're watching his press conference today. Impressed? Uh, not um, not in, as impressed as, as those of us who kind of have been championing Big Sam wanted to be. And I, you know, you, you're kind of... Uh, I think... This awful, this awful thing that happens with nearly all managers, he says, especially in international football, and happened with Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane, that you're reminded ultimately that they're just going to be the manager. And, mm. you know, and even if Sam does give a, a great big Sam press conference, which we all wanted, and he didn't do that, uh, if he doesn't do that, then you're just left with this guy who's a manager of a team which is more or less the same. Mm. And uh, how, much, how much influence can he really have? And he's, you know, he, he trotted out some of his usual, like he's, he's not, he's been pigeonholed unfairly for the type of football he wants to play. And he's a, you know, he's a, he's a master of, of, of hu- the human mind and he will uh, psychologically get inside the players' heads and make everything okay. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the kind of whatever we were sort of hoping for from Big Sam, which is kind of just Big Sam. We just want Sam as big as he can be. <laughs> yeah. uh, this was kind of medium just a medium-sized medium Big Sam. Yeah, because, I mean, this is... You, you know what to expect. Uh, Bolton have beaten Arsene Wenger's Arsenal uh, by a goal to nil uh, with a Kevin Davies header at the back 
post with about five minutes to go. Like, you know how Big Sam is going to be. I mean, this is the this is the biggest Kevin Davies 1-0 winner against Arsene Wenger's Arsenal that life can ever present Big Sam. I mean, I would have thought that this is, you know, horribly in, uh, enlarged Big Sam. Uh, distended Sam. I mean, I, I well, I maybe know. it's just the uh, the trappings of office. Maybe suddenly, yeah. when you find yourself in uh, sitting in, sitting in that desk in, in that office, although it's not very grand in you know St George's Park or whatever, mm. uh, you suddenly feel the uh, the majesty of, of of being the England manager, and you can't be the big Sam. Maybe he's now going to you know having. Uh, you know, sort of uh, campaigned in, in poetry. He's now, you know, <laughs> governing. He's going to have to govern in prose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's probably also aware that there's not much point uh, bigging things up too early on. Realistically, if he was asked the predictable question, the poison chalice question today. Not for me. I'm hardened. Over many, many years, you, you toughen yourself uh, for whatever job you take because you take the good with the bad. Otherwise, you don't do it. Don't bother. So... I'm here because I, I, I want to be. I think I'm here because I want the challenge. I'm here. Uh, I'm here because I think I can make the team better, and uh, and I think I'm tough enough to take it. So uh, bring it on, hey lads. You like it? I like. Yeah, I like that. I liked as well when he was asked if the summer was uh, England's rock bottom, and he said no. And it was, but you kind of kind of found it's like the you know the the old line from Major in Forty Towers when somebody said this is the worst hotel I've ever been in. He said, "No, I won't have that. There's a there's a place in uh, in Scarborough, you know, and uh, like <laughs> yeah. you know, there, this is not rock bottom. Like Lucy Dyson is not rock bottom. It, things can always get worse. Is it a poison chalice? I don't think so. I I think I think the ideas about English the English manager's job are sort of twenty years out of date. Um, is it harder to be an England manager today? Than, like than to be David Moyes at Manchester United? Is it harder? Like, you know, if you read uh, Big Sam's autobiography and he's talking about his wife, uh, his, her obsession with the, uh, one of the West Ham forums and she used to log on every day and find out what they were saying and, you know, he's talking about social media kills you and all this kind of thing. I think being a Premier League manager these days is much tougher than being an England manager. Roy Hodgson, Roy Hodgson lasted for four years as England manager. Mm. Roy Hodgson's only, like any attempt he's had at a big job, he's been gone in months. So it's actually, if you're talking about it in the point of view of, of how much time you get in a job, it's actually a pretty easy job. Well, I suppose it's the scrutiny. It's the fact that you're going to be doing a lot more of these press conferences but, and but all that. Scrutiny during tournaments, once every two years. The rest of the time, international football. Look, at who, like, who's in England's World Cup qualifying group? It's incredibly boring. Um, and international football these days has no interest for most people until... How, does anybody, how do we feel normally when an international break comes around during a football season? Oh, the football stopped. Yeah. It's usually what we think. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Like that's the, journalists kind of have to care about it. And, you know, we, we cover the press conferences and stuff like that. But these days, is that, is that as demanding as, you know, the, the social media reaction, the, the frenzy? If you lose two or, you know, it's, it's, Sam said in, in his autobiography, like if you lose two or three games as a club manager now, it's relentless. Like 20 years ago, it was different. 20 years ago as a club manager, the pressure wasn't that, wasn't that same intensity of pressure because you had local journalists or you know, journalists from national papers covering clubs and then, you had, you know, and then England was the focus for so many and it was the big focus for all the newspapers. Now the Premier League is the focus. So I actually think uh, 
I don't think it's an. I think it's a. I think it's. I. I. I have a few. I. I think it's a really easy. I think it's quite an easy job. I think it's a quite an irrational job. I think if you look at all international football, if you look at the European Championships, um, like you can't really, really work out why teams are successful and why teams aren't. So I. I think all these kind of ideas. I think you kind of almost want to get as many uh, barriers and impediments away from. The, uh, the kind of between the team and the supporters as you can. So I would do things like they were talking when Martin Glenn was talking about paying, you know, we must pay benchmark with top Premier League managers. I would kind of try and work out, you can't do it, but I'd kind of go with, you know, paying, not paying the manager at all. You know, it's actually, you're better off paying as little as possible because ultimately what you want is some sort of connection with the supporters, some sort of idea that this is kind of, you know, the, the sort of the Wales-Chris Coleman kind of idea. But it's, it's also kind of irrational and nobody knows what's going to happen. But there's no point in paying them six million quid a year. A year for, for what? You may as well pay them half a million a year and see how you get on. Well, how do you, well, what's their manager to get for half a million a year, though? Well, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters that much. Like, Big Sam is a good, is a good manager to do it. But I think if you can get someone who can... Who can Connect with the players. If you, I think this applies to Ireland probably more even, more even than England. I don't think you need to be paying at Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane one and a half million a year, or whatever it is, to do what 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 they do. Um, and it, once you've got the kind of respect of the players, uh, you you it's it's kind of in the lap of the gods. Like it's not like how different how how different has England? Like people today, all the usual stuff was trotted out about. Uh, you know, Premier League is a Premier League. You know, making it tough for England to be, be successful. England are at the same level now that they've been since 1966, 1970. So it's not as if they didn't. You know, when they talk about this golden era, when they didn't qualify, they didn't qualify for World Cups in the 70s, and they're looking back at that and saying, "Oh, we had so many English players playing." Like if, if it's a question of foreign players, all these things they trot out, the Premier League not encouraging. But why, when they had, when the league was made up entirely of English players and, and Scottish, Irish, and Welsh, they didn't qualify for two World Cups. But if it's an yeah, if it's an easy job, as you say, why isn't anyone doing a great job of it? Why isn't anyone getting them to? Well, no, I don't mean it's an easy job. I, but I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's a very. I, I, I totally take your point. It's a very well-paid job for the amount of work they have to do. I, I, I think, I think actually, an awful lot of the stuff that's created around it makes it more difficult. I think the self-importance that England, England attached to the whole thing. Mm. Uh, this, this, I, I think there is. I think there's a cultural aspect to do with England English footballers, which also explains. Uh, I, I think why they don't kind of do do as well as as they should. And I think that's at its peak at uh, at tournaments and within their way of England, where they're kind of rush. You know, you can't talk to them. We've, we've all anyone who's been in mixed zones has this experience with England. Uh, where you know players are rushed through mix zones, and they kind of the idea that they would stop and talk. Yeah, Joe Hart. Joe Hart was asked about uh, the darts game. There's, there was, isn't this one of the stories yeah. that came in afterwards? You know, Joe, who who's winning the darts at the moment within the squad, and he was totally tight lipped. Like on, on no comment. Yeah, yeah. He's literally yeah. gave a no comment. Yeah, and yeah. and I I honestly believe <laughs> that that has an impact, and on on how people on how they express themselves. I it's, think if if you kind of brought up culturally to say never say anything, never do anything when you're actually forced into situations where you have to think for yourself, um you can't do it. Or, or it's harder to do it. And I think that's that's one of and so when they talk like Carragher, Jamie Carragher wrote a very good piece about the academy system destroying England, but I would say that the academies have just become the architecture for what was there already. 
So that, that kind of thinking, that mollycoddling, that idea of we will take care of everything, you don't need to think for yourself about anything, that was all, that was, that's been there for 30 years. Uh, the academies have just, you know, literally they are. There's a name for it the, now. The, the name for it now, the buildings where, where, these, where these things take place. But I think it's, it's a, it's got, it, goes, it goes way back. And I, you know, and I remember the first tour in the I ever did, I noticed this. You know, I remember you know, being in France in 98 and you could stop and, t- like, I remember chatting to Desai after a match for, like, you know, five minutes just on my own, chatting to Desai uh, in, in France <laughs> in, at yeah. their World Cup. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, the idea that you would stop, an England player would stop and talk to you was just ludicrous. <laughs> they were just rushed to, where, you know, rushed to their, their points to talk to the, you know, the daily press, the Sunday press, the radio, TV, and then rushed out again. And I think that has as much of a factor as anything. So I think when you say it's, I think these are the reasons why it's, it's actually a difficult job because they create this sort of self, sense of self-importance going into it, um, which, which is, is self-perpetuating and, and adds to the pressure. Yeah. And I think that, that you know, they, there was those photographs of them, of them not holding their own umbrellas arriving back from France at the Euros. And, you know, this sort of thing is just, it's, it's, so, it's so small and yet it's so easy to use against them, you know. But is the appointment of, of Sam Allardyce not in itself, a, you know, a, re- a reduction of the sort of glitz and glamour? The basically Sam has, set, for his entire career, rebelled against this idea that he's not just, you know, you know English football man, you know. Yeah. So, and, but it, could that actually be play into his hands in some way in how he's seen by the press and the the... Well, there's a guy who looks a lot like us and talks yeah, a lot like no, us. I, I think that definitely, I think that can help because I think if you... Uh, with the fans. Yeah, yeah, the more yeah. you, you identify, the more people feel they identify with the team, the less reasons for hostility they have. And therefore, you have to kind of assume that that sort of percolates down to the players who don't feel that they're just one mistake away from being yeah. hounded, which is, you know, I accept that when tournaments come around, it is a highly pressurised and then you have all the ludicrous stuff that happens, you know... Uh, you know, pictures of them smiling uh, after, yeah. you know, when they've lost. Like, you know, somebody's captured smiling and is now sort of, uh, has committed some sort of act of yeah. treachery. Um, and I remember after the, was in South Africa, they had a picture of them kind of in, in their kind of games room, yeah. just kind of relaxing and smoke and drinking beer. And it was, this was kind of, you know, we have, we have found the kind of... Party zone. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Have, we, have, we have found the, the people who brought down England, you know, yeah. and... Uh, it's 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 crazy. So that stuff is crazy. But I think the more so, I agree with you. If you have someone like Big Sam, uh, who can maybe get the people to uh, you know they they can the country and the and the media and whatever uh, identify with them, then there's the players may feel less encumbered by it, which is what what you're trying to do. But having said that, like Hodgson got it. Hodgson got a really easy ride. Hodgson should have been sacked after the World Cup. Like, England's World Cup was astonishingly bad. And I think because of guilt of previous, uh, how they dealt with previous managers. If they didn't want to get their hopes up for that tournament, then their low expectations were met. This is they being like a lot of England football fans and certainly football media. And so so by the end of it, everyone subconsciously looked at each other and said, we can't, we can't go for this guy's yeah. sacking, can we? Yeah. Even though we were dreadful. But he was there's there for a 90% four... chance he's terrible, but uh, maybe 10%? Maybe? So, like, when people talk about, I think that's it, when people talk about the impossible, so he was there for four years, okay, I don't, you know, fewer matches, obviously, but 
He had four years in the job. If you're four years at four million a year, that's a pretty, okay, I'll take the impossibility of that. Yeah. Uh, rather than, you know, nine months. What was he at Liverpool? He was at four months at Liverpool. Yeah. Five months at Liverpool, which is about right for Hodgson's level of ability. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's, um, I do think it's, 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 it's more manageable than it was, certainly compared to managing the Premier League. Well, Jack Pitbrook has been covering this press conference at, the, at St George's Park, England's base there. Jack, uh, thanks very much for chatting. We're making the point he didn't seem quite as fired up as we thought he might on his, um, on his first press conference. Is that fair? Uh, I, no, I thought he was quite fired up, actually. I thought he was particularly fired up when justifying why he should have got the job, or rather kind of putting down any putting down any of the criticisms that might have been made against him getting the job in a way which almost sounded like it was pre-rehearsed. So he was asked about style of play, and he said, well, people have criticised my style of play, but last season we had Jermaine Defoe up front on his own. He's less than six foot tall, and people said he couldn't play in that role. He said that he was asked about his ability to take teams from the bottom end of the Premier League and drag them up to safety. And he said that, yes, he has done that a lot, but he thinks he's more than that as a manager. Like, he's more than just a rescue guy. He said that he should have got the job in 2006 when he was interviewed for it. And he was very much... He wasn't on the defensive because he was actually being quite assertive, but he was certainly um, making quite a vocal case to why he should, for why it was right for him to have been given the job. Why does the style of play thing bother him so much, Jack, do you think? Um, I think because he thinks that he's being put in a box a bit by it. I think he's also kind of, att- I think he's also attuned to what he perceives to be snobbery about it. But clearly, you know, this it is something that has rankled him. Uh, I think the interesting thing about the context of Sam getting the job is that, you know, we know that international football is often won by the least stylish team. I mean, look at, mm. you know, Greece 2004, Portugal just a few weeks ago. And there's a very strong case to be made for giving Sam Allardyce the job in that tradition or in the hope of emulating one of those two teams. Um, but, of course, you know, they don't quite want to say that in terms. And Allardyce, well, he, he did say that he's pragmatic when asked what his style of play would be. He, uh, he, I think he wants to be seen to be able to do more than that as well. Jack, you know, you're talking about Sam's... Uh sort of touchiness about the style of play he plays. Was, was there not a sense today that he would kind of was now at peace with, with all that, having kind of achieved the, sort of his career goal and, and got what he wanted, got what he felt was always being denied to him because of these kind of uh, misapprehensions about him? To an extent. I mean, he's, there was certainly a sense that this is a great achievement for him, which it is that this is kind of the pinnacle of a, you know, a long and successful managerial career in England. I, but equally, given that he was so assertive about this style of play point, you did, he did kind of look like a man who felt like he had to justify his being there. He had to justify why he's been given the job, even though I think, objectively, he was certainly the best candidate of all the available ones. Is there any sense, Jack, of how he's going to work within the structures of the FA? We, we, we know they uh, generally appoint people who are quite amenable to how things are done. Is there, is there a case for him going in and shaking the FA up a little bit? Well, a lot of that stuff is still provisional. Like, he said quite a few times, I'm going to wait till I've got my feet under the table. Like, he is going to work here at St. George's Park and, you know, come here every day. But in terms of, like, the details of his staff are yet to be clear. Like, Sammy Lee will be working with him. Paul Clement they're talking to, but that isn't... That isn't confirmed yet. He'll be working closely with Dan Ashworth. 
the technical director, but I think the, the details, particularly in terms of how Sam Alves will work with the development teams and the, and the, and the rest of the, of the FA organisation up here at St George's Park, remains to be made clear. How difficult is this job? He addressed this idea of it being a poison chalice and Dion reckons it definitely isn't, that it's a highly paid job. Uh, it gives you a chance to work with very good players and also under relatively little pressure for a lot of the time until you actually get to the major tournaments. What do you think? Is it as, as difficult as a job to handle as is made out? Well, I think it's certainly an easier job than the one that Roy Hodgson took in early 2012 because he only had a few months to build into up into Euro 2012, and there was obviously the politics of the John Terry situation. Whereas Allardyce comes in with a fairly blank slate and, frankly, a very gentle qualification group. Like, you know, they've got just under two years of fairly easy games, friendly aside, before they get to the big pressure situation, presuming they do make it, of the World Cup in Russia. And that means he certainly has the time and the space to put his own stamp on it before it gets difficult. All right, listen, Jack Pitbrook, thanks so many for taking the call. Cheers, lads. Bye. Timbuktu. Yo, listen up, here's the story. You're all pumped. We haven't got they leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside blue they don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. Timbuktu. They're all just headphones. They don't kick out the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pumped. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, that's what I was thinking as well, Dion, that uh, I, I thought maybe now would be the time to just embrace whatever pragmatic football is supposed to mean because he has the job now it's it's done I can understand if Sam Allardyce had never had never got the England job or you know didn't have a long and, and pretty successful career in football you, there's probably a lot of Sam Allardyce around feeling that they could have had a great career if they were perceived differently but he's had a good one and now he's the England manager so I mean now's the time to just embrace it if, if they say you're long ball just, just take it you're, you're the England manager you're not the Spain manager yeah but maybe this comes back to again the whole the sort of slightly uh Reduced Big Sam. That uh, it reminds me of when Graham Taylor got the England job, uh, and he was you know he he played long ball football, and he, most of his time at England, a lot, a lot of it you know was defined by until the documentary came along was was defined by uh, is he playing long ball or not? Will he? And you know and, and Taylor spent this whole time trying to insist he wouldn't be playing long ball and and trying to pick these players, but you know clearly his heart was somewhere else. Mm. And uh, I remember he left out Paul Gascoigne when they played in when they played in Dublin and brought Gordon Cowens in, and you know, there was all these little things yeah. that suggested that he was being 
uh, he was sort of conflicted between what he was expected to do as England manager and what his instincts were. Now, Allardyce is probably uh, is probably a, you know a stronger, probably stronger mentally than than Graham Taylor, but maybe not. Uh, and but if that conflict kind of is there. It will. It would be interesting, but again, as Jack said, like the qualifying, their group is is so easy that very little. Like it, you know, then it will be a pressurized job if he messes up this mm. qualifying campaign. Then it's just, you know, like Steve McLaren, it's kind of the end of the road. But otherwise, they they'll they'll coast through this, not really finding out much about them. You know, not really knowing anything about the team uh, until they get to a tournament, and then again, you're in this situation as Hodgson was, where you're looking suddenly at this going, why, why are we still here with this guy? Uh, as Hodgson was, you know, in the European Championships or with Allardyce only at, that, at the World Cup really finding out about his team. And then maybe, that, you know, in, in 2018, there will then be the debate, like, what are you doing? And will he, you know, is he going to play long ball or what, whatever? Because you imagine when you're under pressure, you go back to, uh, you know, your, your instincts. The big preseason <coughs> game we were going to talk about was the... Game in China where Pep versus Jose, Manchester United against Man City, first taste of this captivating rivalry, centerpiece of both clubs' visit to the country, and then Saban called off, uh, which <laughs> adds to another sort of kink to this uh, story because it, it seems to have been pretty chaotic over the last 24 hours or so for Manchester United, particularly. Yeah, it seems that it's not, um, it's not you know, it, uh, apart from uh, as a, an exercise in making money, mm. um, which maybe is, is all that really matters, it's, it's not really going that well. This might be the the next step in pre uh, yeah. pre season uh, tournaments, you know that no football at all happens. They just fly around, inv- getting lost. It's like kind of uh, Real Madrid signing unveilings. You know, they just invite everyone in. They just the Manchester United fans or players wave at their fans and then walk off. Yeah, again. just announce Pogba. You know, yeah. people keep saying, "Just do it now. Just get <laughs> yeah. there now and do it." Like if we've no match, announce Pogba, and we've saved. Everyone goes all happy. Yeah, we've redeemed something from this awful situation. Because they arrived late, they had their, their plane had to stop off, and the weather was lost, as the headline said. I, I don't know. I think uh, Memphis had. Facebook or tweeted a short video saying we're on we're somewhere in China we're lost I don't know if the pilot was as lost as Memphis was but yeah. it certainly had to stop somewhere because of bad weather before it got going again then they arrive at this place where they're doing the press conference where Pep had already done his press conference but Mourinho or certainly the Manchester United media team decided no, it's too hot and stuffy in here for us we'll yeah. do it by the side of the pitch then, even by that stage I think there were doubts about the game happening because the pitch was in an awful state so you kind of got to wonder what's the point. Well, we know what the point is. I think you could wonder. We, we uh, coming back from from the Euros, our plane had to make an emergency landing, and the uh, the crew announced that we'd be landing. We took off from London City, and they said we'll be you we'll be landing shortly in London, but they didn't get any more specific than <laughs> yeah. that. Like so, I was like, you know, as, as it was an emergency landing, I was a little bit alarmed. Are we going to land kind of in the field? Or like, <laughs> yeah, on the M25. No, no, it's you one know. of the. Yeah. We yeah, don't yeah. know which one. But then yet, they came. But, yeah. They came back and specified which you know we were landing in Stansted. But for a while, it was just left oh, kind of vague <laughs> as London. So like, I can see where Memphis. Just how were quick kind of, is this you know, like, going to be? Maybe they yeah. just said we're, yeah. we're we're landing in China. Well, back in know? England, <laughs> it seems like back in England, clubs have a little more control, Murph, over what they're doing. They're very particular in how they want things to go because the staff last week got their hands on a document entitled Liverpool FC Domestic Hotel Requirements Season 2016-2017 okay. How interesting could this possibly be on? Boss Jurgen Klopp must be allocated a room in which he's allowed smoke <laughs> okay. Can you still get smoking rooms in hotels? Well, you do for your club. Yeah, his, his, time machine is obviously the, the unspoken part of that. This writer, his coach Peter uh, Kravitz, uh, must also be handed a smoking room. The rooms must be away from the players. 
but the backroom staff must be together. You probably don't want to see your manager. Yeah. Well, you, maybe you do want to see your manager smoke. But the manager might want to see that happening. Philippe Coutinho must be provided with a fan in his room. Yeah. Uh, originally, I saw that in that Rod Little column, and uh, Rod Little said it wasn't specified whether it's like a Liverpool supporter who has to be there cheering him to sleep or whether it's just uh, something to keep him cool. All players are to have uh, double beds, Wi-Fi code, and a room key, which I think is fine. Yeah. It's not okay. yeah. you know, these these footballers with yeah. their room it's not keys. Quite as yeah, so I can't see Chris Model just shouting the words "double beds." <laughs> you know, I, you know. <laughs> double beds. Jordan Henderson and Adam Lallana need to have their bedrooms next to each other. So they each get their own double bed. They don't have to share. This is Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But Lalana and Henderson are obviously big mates. Don't want to be too far away from each other. So they just get the bedrooms. But nobody <laughs> else cares who they're next to. Apparently not. Not as much is as Is that a good to. sign or is that a bad sign? You know, is that good? good? Does that say that Klopp has got the Jordan, Hen- Jordan uh, Henderson and Lallana are the only two that really care about the future of this club. <laughs> yeah, if Liverpool win the league, you know they're going to go back to this. This is how you do it. You, yeah, you, yeah. Your manager needs to smoke. Your, you your two guys <laughs> like each other, right? Yeah. Okay, you have to insist at all times that your rooms are together. Mean, mean, meanwhile, the on last week's story is David Moyes taking over from Big Sam at Sunderland. And apparently Ellis Short says, well, not apparently, he says this, that Moyes has been his number one target essentially forever. Last five appointments, he wanted to get Moyes in, but he had to make do with second choices. Yeah, um, it is actually. I think it's a good appointment for Sunderland. Um, he is, you know, if if Moy if now if he if he gets time, uh, but it, it is Moyes works. You know, he does work well in the transfer market at a certain level, uh, and I think the work he did with Everton is the sort of how you, you know the sort of form line you'd look at for what he what he can do with Sunderland, mm. and. Uh, I, I, I can see like they've moved so quickly to get him. I think it's uh, it is that was important from them because, for them because having gone through so much over the last, you know since you know to, since O'Neill left and Decanio and everything and Allardyce having brought some sort of sort of stability, I think somebody like Moyes is is kind of essential rather than uh, like flailing around again. I'd say it's probably important for him as well <coughs> to be told privately and publicly that you that this club always wanted you because leaving Everton I'm sure he had fairly bulletproof self-confidence but you've got to think it's taken a hit the Man United experience must have been well it clearly does hurt him you can see it when it's ever brought up even tangentially uh, and then it not working out in Spain you, surely you're maybe doubting yourself a little bit there so it's no harm the club saying listen don't worry yeah, it's going to be interesting though because you know it. Everything has kind of changed. There is a if you go back, to, if you link it to the talk about the England manager now. You know, being manager of Manchester United has provides now that's those same kind of sense of, of scarring mm. that England used to do. So like there was always with any England manager in the past, there was like his pre-England career and his post-England career. And no matter what they did post-England, <laughs> it was always like you're looking at this sort of slight kind of you know shell of a man. Yeah who has kind of come out the other side of this experience. Uh, and that will be the interesting thing from, for Moyes, whether uh, he can go back to that. But, you know, people kind of know so much about him and they know his, his sort of tics and mannerisms. They're, pay, you know, it's, they're just yeah. sort of aware of him all the time. You know, we've had Moyes, Cam, all these things that have, you know, we, we know so much about the man. So uh, do you, like, when you see him now, you might be able to pick up Weaknesses and vulnerabilities that you didn't didn't sense before. So that's the interesting thing. If you can kind of put it all behind him, but in in theory and what he did at Everton, it's a really good appointment. All right, that's pretty much it for the football podcast. All the weekend's championship is covered in our other show today, featuring Claire's Podge Collins, who played both football and hurling for his county over the weekend with uh, 
a big result in the football. Not so good in the hurling. And the match winner for the tip footballers, Connor Sweeney, is also in there. He spoke well about... It's always easy to speak well about banging over the winning point mm. in one of the most historic games in your county's football history. So we'll I went in there, I tore shit up, and that's it. That, that <laughs> yeah. pretty much... Any more questions? Well, a couple more, Connor. I want to get a <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, few minutes out of this chat. It's good, good drama, but I mean, you know... Come on, buddy. Thanks, Give, Murph. Give four minutes of your time. Thank you, Owen. Thank Thanks, you, Dion. Dion. Thanks, lads. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll chat to you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.